This is John Henry Weston for LifeSite News, and I am going to bring you an incredible interview with Mary Wagner, that great Canadian hero for life, the one who actually goes into abortion mills to speak to women as they're waiting there in the waiting room, offers them help, the choice for life in the most loving way possible. She's been arrested for doing this. She's spent six years in jail for doing this. You're going to want to hear this interview. Stay tuned. Mary Wagner, thank you for joining us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you so much for inviting me, John Henry. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is a great pleasure for me to speak with you, Mary. You are an inspiration to so many people in the pro-life movement. You're here, we're here to talk today about what's going on with your case in Canada, because there's something truly historic that's going to happen now, or please God will happen now. Your case has been asked to go forward to the Supreme Court. Your lawyer is taking this forward and appealed to the Supreme Court to take on this case a charter challenge for the pro-life issue, a charter challenge for the right to life of unborn children. Yes. Yes, we um, filed the leave for application to the Supreme Court uh, just earlier this month, and we await now the Crown's response, which is to be submitted within 30 days of our application file, and and then we um, have another 10 days to respond, and then it's in the hands of the Supreme Court to make a decision whether they will grant leave for appeal. So uh, your prayer is really very much appreciated at this time. This is key. So what's going to happen here is a court case that is going to be a charter challenge, a challenge to the Charter of Canada, which actually says something very strange. I'm going to pull up here quickly so that we can all see it. It's to deal with the charter that deals with section 223, which says this in the most bizarre language. Um, it says, the child becomes a human being within the meaning of the act when it has completely proceeded from in a living state from the body of its mother. That's absolutely against all science, against medical science, biology, whatever you wish. But that's the charter in Canada and the challenge that we're going forward with now. We need, uh, we need prayers for this to be taken up at the Supreme Court level. And Gwen Landolt, a lawyer in Canada who is pro-life, who has gone before the Supreme Court already, has told us that this will be taken up by one of the judges of the Supreme Court to see if it will be heard by the full court. And we're going to learn that in the new year. So tell us if you could, what are your hopes for this? Well, certainly our, our hopes um, ultimately would be that the highest court would recognize the, um, the injustice of Section 223, uh, which declares that a child uh, acknowledges the child, that before birth, there is a child there, um, but is not considered a human being contrary to common sense, common, <laughs> contrary to scientific evidence. Um, we will hope that that will, that will be reversed ultimately, so that protection, uh, right to life will be there, recognized from the moment of conception once again. Um, however, even if 
this court does not decide in favor of the truth, in favor of justice for our littlest brothers and sisters. Um, I think that this case is really important because it will present the highest court of the land with the truth. Um, and it, if, if the court decides against um, our case, then it, it's clearly exposed the hypocrisy and the grave injustice is, is exposed um, for many because I believe that this case is, will, will garner um, international attention. Um, many people in the world are not aware of Canada's complete disregard from the moment of conception for unborn children. So I think that either way, how the, the decision is made, that it will be um, a, a victory, but in, in different ways. Absolutely. So your story is a very interesting one, and we want to get into that a little bit. So you go inside the abortion mills to give women the option for life, to peacefully present them the option for life. So tell us, if you could, what brings you, what motivates you uh, to do this kind of thing? Well, um, anyone who recognizes that the child before birth is a human being has to ask them those questions. How, how can we advocate for them? How can we speak for them in a country which, um, which, uh, in which we're prosecuted for trying to advocate for them when they are most in need? And um, I guess I began asking those questions um, even as a child, well, probably as a teenager. And um, I, was, I was very touched by the nonviolent Operation Rescue movements. I was just in my young teens at that time when it was at the height of it. But it was always something there that if, um, if we care about the children being aborted, that we care about those who are imminently in, in danger. And um, so my heart was always moved to where it's happening, when it's happening. I, I think that it's, it's too long of a story to, sh to share here, but um, my heart was touched by God's grace in, in many ways. But um, I think over, over time, as I grew spiritually as a young adult, um, I realized in, in the light, in, in really walking in the light of Mother Teresa, um, the distinction between um, caring about an issue and caring about a person, and ultimately Christ is that person, is our neighbor. So he led me to uh, the abortion places, which I had been to before, but um, without, uh, he led me to a place where I, I, I was able to see, we, our love for them doesn't stop where this, the law says, where the arbitrary law says that we cannot reach out to them. Um, and, and the question of presence for our neighbor in need is is so important, even more important than maybe what we can do. And Our Lady really is the model for, for all of us as the compassion in, in standing at the foot of the cross. So he touched my heart to, um, to see, well, you can go to these places and be there present prayerfully and hopefully uh, in some way as a conduit um, uh, for his mercy, his love. And it's really in a spirit of poverty, independence on him, um, hoping that God will intervene where even human words are, are not able to really walking into a, a very impossible, humanly impossible situation and remaining there with the mother and child um, until either they walk out, which has happened and is always the hope, or um, until physically is no longer possible because the police... Uh, ultimately come, usually come and, um, and take us away. So let's unpack that a little bit. You spoke of Mother Teresa 
and recognizing her recognizing Christ in others. Mm-hmm. And you come from that same perspective. You recognize Christ in the mother and the child. And so you have sort of two clients or, or, or people whom you're trying to reach, if you will, as you see Christ in them. And you actually walk into the abortion mills and as they're waiting there, waiting in the abortion mill, the mother's waiting, um, you present them for, can you describe, in fact, what you do? So um, I began taking uh, roses with me to offer to the mothers, um, just as a, as a sign of love to, um, and often we would attach miraculous medals or um, little mess and messages where, important messages where they could um, be encouraged to recognize their child, recognize as well equally the, the support that's available to them. And, um, and so they were, they were offered the, these roses and then hopefully that would initiate as well uh, opportunity to, to talk with them and to see really what, what is it that's, that's leading them there? What can we do to bring them out? Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things that most people know is that you are a very peaceful person, a very loving person. Um, nothing violent about you, but what are some of the words you might use to encourage mothers to accept life? Well, I try to go in there really asking the Holy Spirit to say, help me say what needs to be said, because I know that each woman is unique and, and what she might need to hear is, is going to be different for one um, than for the other. So if um, I think I would probably start with something general, like we, we're here to help you and your child. How can we help you? And then if there's any kind of response on her end, then depending on how she would respond, we would, we would take it from there. Um, um, sometimes if there's no response, it would be trying to at least let them know by question, do you, do you realize that your child's heart is beating already um, by this time, if you know that you're pregnant? Something to try to, uh, do you know what kind of help that there is? We will help you with anything that you need right now. So really trying to um, just let them know the help that is out there. But again, it varies depending on, on the response that we'd receive. Right. So what you're doing is not legal in Canada. We have buffer zones around abortion mills in Canada where we're not able to enter into them. You go actually right into uh, the abortion center itself. And so what happens, even though you're just trying to help and do so peacefully, you've been arrested many times. You've been prosecuted by the law. You've been thrown in jail. Um, we have video clips of you being dragged out of these places and thrown into the back of police cars. That must have been very scary when it happened. Tell us your experience. Well, actually, the the very first time that I um, was at a killing place and was inside was way back in, I think it was 1999. And I was with my friend, uh, Sissy Von Dean in Vancouver. She was actually outside. She remained outside, but the police officer officers believed the abortion staff who said that she was not allowed to be there and they arrested her first so it always helps when you have a friend at your side um so the very first time it was it was a blessing to have a partner in crime and subsequently after that that first time it, it became easier to um to the process of being arrested really it's um at the moment it's difficult because you have your concern for the mother and the child which is preeminent, but you've also then got to deal with the police who are coming. Once I'm taken away, it's it's more just like a time to enter into prayer, and it's not really a stressful time. Um, the police have been pretty good as far as being phys- um, not physically aggressive for the most part, and so that part itself is not 
the same weight um, on the heart as obviously being right in the center where the, the killing is happening or is about to happen. Tell me, do you believe there's a specific call to do this kind of a thing? And how have you been called? Well, God calls each of us uniquely. Um, I, I would say that for myself, he, he poured out graces upon me. One in particular was in prayer um, after praying for a friend who I learned was involved in some medical research involving um, baby parts here in Canada many years ago. Um, and uh, the source of which was questionable. He wasn't sure if they were aborted babies or if they were donated mi miscarried children. He didn't know and he did not want to find out. And that led me really to pray for him. And in prayer, it was like God lifted the veil for me and I, um, and I saw what happens to the child. And I had seen pictures before, but I had never wanted to see the, the videos that are out there. But he, sh he showed me just in, in prayer. And that was definitely a very compelling moment. It was really um, a point of uh, complete shift for me in, um, in my walk with God. So our Lord says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And you've spent what? somewhere around um, years, in fact, uh, in prison for attending to him. How long, in fact, has it? I think it's been close to six years. I haven't kept track that clearly, but it's been between five and six years. Right. So this is you in prison for prison time. Well, there was a period in my mid-20s uh, for about three years, and I had sh I received short prison sentences, um, maximum, I think the total, in total for those three years was just about six months. And um, then since 2010 has been the bulk of the, the time of incarceration. Um, I moved to Ontario in 2010 because Linda Gibbons had been in custody already for two years, I think, on a maximum six-month sentence charge. And um, she herself has spent about 11 years, a great-grandmother. Um, she's not currently in, in custody, but she has been a, a real light for me as far as persevering. Absolutely. Linda Gibson, Linda Gibbons, a great pro-life warrior, has been a great inspiration to so many of us. She actually also in jail, as you said, for 11 years, but she did a different thing. She didn't go into the abortuaries. She would walk outside uh, with a sign. And uh, on her sign was, uh, I believe it was Why Mom or something like that. Yeah, it was a, a it was a, sorry, it was a drawing of a, of a child, a small mm -hmm. child, and with a tear running down her face and the caption, Why Mom, when I have so much love right. to give. And Linda would be there as a silent presence with that sign, which was deemed illegal. Yes, we have these buffer zones around abortion mills in Canada. We're unable to go within a certain area and otherwise it's illegal. You get arrested. And also she saved probably countless lives, got arrested, spent years in jail as well. And for me, I think it's a it's a great thing to be able to go to our Lord who said, you know, whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me. And imagine at the end of her life, which, uh, you know, is, is going to come likely before yours because she's older, but she's able to go to our Lord and uh, there he can, you know, how he's going to say, whatever you did to the least of these, you did for me. We'll hear things like, you know, you saw me being threatened in my mother's womb in that unborn baby. And you 
came forward to protect and defend me despite the threat to your own freedom for doing that. What an incredible thing. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's important to remember, I mentioned Mother Teresa, but um, she took the name of Teresa after St. Therese of Lisieux, who reminds us that it's not um, great works, great deeds that impress God. <laughs> she didn't put it like that, but what, what um, God looks at is the love, the quality of love that we put into even the most seemingly insignificant things. So I think we have to be careful because um, St. Paul says, even if I offer my body to be, to be burned, if I don't have love, then uh, there's nothing there really. So we just have to be a little bit careful. Right. Absolutely. So tell me, how do you engender that love, that pure love, that not self-seeking love, a kind of love that um, doesn't look to selfish goals, I don't want to be popular for doing this or, or draw any attention to myself, basically I'm doing this out of the love for Christ, but yet he puts me in these situations where I'm sometimes in the public eye. So how do you maintain that pure love? Well, I... I think the awareness of what's essential um, was a great grace that I received through time that I spent in a monastery and contemplative life. Um, just, just sort of unplugging. First of all, uh, God is a God of silence, and He meets us there. And um, so, in our very busy, hectic world, it's hard to see that as a priority sometimes. But it is, and then then God speaks to us. So I think. Not that I'm any example of what you're speaking of, but I just know that he has given me that great grace, um, or at least you know, he's, he put me in the, in the position where I was ready to receive, um, more capable of receiving just because of um, the graces of, of the life order to silence prayer to listening. So uh, I try to keep that because it's not easy to to um, remain, uh, remain in that truth when you're also in a busy world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, speaking of the world, funny enough, um, you've been to all sorts of places in the world, but at LifeSite we get asked a lot about you from Poland. Why is Poland interested in Mary Wagner? <laughs> I have to ask Poland that. <laughs> but um, we know that even though the recent uprisings might lead people to think otherwise, that um, Pol the Polish people, having suffered so much, under the communist regime and having relied so much on Christ and on the gospel, um, which ultimately led to the overthrow of the regime. Um, I think initially the Polish people had looked at Canada as an example of a state that upheld, upholds human rights. And um, there was a there was an email, not an email, an article that circulated about five years ago after a judge said to me in court, if you think that you can do that, do what you're doing, then you are wrong and your God is wrong. And I had been receiving a steady flow of mail up until that point. But after that article went viral, um, I received a lot of mail coming from Poland. So I think that, those were kind of the, the steps to, that, were, <laughs> that led to this support, this great support. It was an incredible thing that even in the you know, the courts and judges and people who say things, they sometimes will voice certain things that really exemplify where they're coming from. And that particular statement, your God is wrong, was 
a real lightning rod. It, it focused the issue. It gave us a clarity that that this is an anti-God, an anti-Christ kind of movement, the movement to support abortion. And it was so very clear in the words of that judge that it really did spark a lot of interest and, and a, a focus on this thing. So people need to support you in your work. How can they do that? Well, really, prayer is the most important because we don't know how God is going to take this case. But just if people would like to join all of us who are already praying for for this case and for Dr. Lugosi, who's who's representing our brothers and sisters, that is huge. And that's the most important thing. Um, also, he has to be paid. And uh, that's a reality, too. So if people would like to donate, and for those who have, some have made incredible sacrifices, whether by offering the widow's might or by offering large sums of money. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has already contributed and um, and open it up. If anybody would like to to contribute, please know that it's, it's a fight worth fighting, even if the victory is not ha as we would ultimately hope. There would still be a victory, I believe, in just fighting the good fight. So, Amen. So thank you. Mary Wagner, thank you so very much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you so much. Thank you. John Henry, God bless you, and thank you for the good work that you're doing. To all of you, we'll see you next time. May God bless you. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.